have a few folks out here. Um, there's been a few folks, or at least one, out in my house. My wife, along with several other ladies uh, from Taylor Street, uh, headed to Dallas where they were involved in the, the Women of Faith seminar, and, and she's been texting me and calling me and FaceTiming me, and it's good to hear from her, to read her text, and to see her face, but I'm, I'm ready for her to be home. <laughs> but as, uh, as all of you can attest, it is still good to be here this morning. I, I want to talk about this morning the elephant in the room. Well, actually, the elephant and the donkey in the room. We're going to spend just a few minutes talking about what is going on outside of our place of worship uh, and what is taking place in the world right now, specifically in the United States of America, what is being talked about. And I think that really relates to our spirituality. So if you will, just allow me a few minutes to talk about what took place six days ago. I don't uh, spend a lot of time uh, reading about politics. Uh, I don't have any bumper stickers on my car. Uh, I would dare say that I don't have an agenda, politically speaking, of any kind. Uh, and, and even while I say I'm an apolitical person, that I shy away from politics, here I am talking about what took place Monday night. Uh, it was an accident. I didn't mean to watch it, but it just happened. And in fact, somebody later asked me, why did you watch the whole thing? And my response was, well, it was, it was kind of like a train wreck. And for those of you who spent the, you know, it was a 90-minute debate, and for me it was the worst two hours of my life, because it just kept going. It kept going on, and it didn't stop. And what I walked away with, and I think most Americans walked away with this idea, is it didn't turn out to be red or blue but everybody walked away feeling a little black and blue. There was a lot of things that were going on. And most people left having watched that with a sour taste in their mouth. And I don't want to spend time talking about the candidates, but I want to talk about why we have debates in the first place. The reason why we have debates is it is an opportunity for the country to get to know the candidates. It's an opportunity to hear what they have to, to say about certain policies. And from that, we can learn a lot about what they say and what they do. From that hundred plus minutes that I watched through the debates, there are several things that I, I gleaned. But I think the most important is this. After listening to both of the candidates, this is something that really rang true and something that I, I, I got done with and I, I actually stopped and I prayed. And I said, thank you God that you are a leader that is transparent. You're not hiding things. There's not hidden tax forms or lost emails in our relationship with God. I thank God because He's a humble God. That's my leader. I thank God because, because He's generous. I thank God because He is forgiving. And I thank God because He's loving. 
watching that debate allowed me to contrast who we have as leaders coming up in our country and who we really serve in the kingdom of God. And so I want to take just a few more moments and say, what do we do now? For those of you who watched the debate or didn't watch the debate, those of you who follow Facebook or Twitter or the news or the newspaper, maybe you listen to talk radio, maybe you're completely averse to all of that and you try to you know, plug your ears like I do and you know, try not to listen to too much of it. I want to talk for just a minute about the three things that I think we can get out of what's going to take place in the next 38 days. And the first one is this. Don't hang your hope on a vote. I beg you. Do not hang your hope on a vote. Because let's be honest, either way, you are going to be disappointed. Because either one, the person that you wanted to be president isn't going to be president, or maybe equally bad, the person that you wanted to become president becomes president. And some of the things that he or she says that they're going to do, they're not going to do. And some of the things they maybe never intended to do, and maybe some things they wanted to do, but it's going to get bogged down in the political system and the bureaucracy, it's not going to take place. And you are going to be really, really disappointed if you're hanging on to what your one vote is going to do. Now, don't misunderstand me. If you think I've just said, don't vote, you have not heard me at all. I'm not telling you not to vote. I'm not telling you to vote. And I am definitely not telling you who to vote for. What I am saying is, if you are basing how your life is going to go on what takes place on November 8th, you are just setting yourself up for disappointment. The second thing I think we need to realize as we look through the next 38 days, is that what the majority of Americans choose will neither doom the gospel nor usher in the kingdom of God. What Americans choose will neither doom the gospel nor usher in the kingdom of God. God's Promise won't go rotten, and his plan can't be trumped. Okay, that didn't go over as well as I thought it might. God's promise won't go rotten, and his plan cannot be trumped. We need to remember, whether it sounds clever or if it just falls really short, that what takes place after November 8th is not going to affect the plan that God has for His people and the promise that He has for you. And some people are getting really anxious and the media wants to tell us it all rides on what takes place, that everything is going to change, good or bad. We are not electing a Savior. We have one. And how this country goes does not determine where we go. Spiritually speaking. And number three, Republicans 
and Democrats are pointing to one day. Jesus gives us today. That's what he tells us. That's what we can remember as we're going through these next 38 days. That we have to remember that people will not know who you are by how you fill in a bubble on a secret ballot behind a closed curtain. They will know who you are by what you say and how you act. Not only will the people know who you are by what you say and how you act, but this world will come to know who God is by what you say and how you act. We're placing a lot on a vote. We're looking ahead to 38 days, and man, they're making a big deal about this one day. That everything will ride on what takes place in 38 days, and after that, for the next four years, they're going to talk about what took place on that one day. It's either in the future, or it's in the past, and Jesus says, I call you to the present. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to put our hopes in a vote. And we don't have to sit by and say, well, there's nothing I can do. I live in a blue state or a red state or, or this is never really going to work. Neither one are people that I like. We have a choice. And Jesus says it's not something that you do on November 8th. It's something that you do today. If you saw the, the debate and you were just frustrated by the way that they were so disrespectful to one another, you can do something about it. Go out today. I'm not talking about voting in 38 days. I'm talking about today. Go out today and show kindness and love and respect to your neighbors. We can do something today. And in doing so, we really show who God is. The presidential candidates, they made themselves known by a debate. They show who they are by what they say and what they do. We show the world who we are by what we say and what we do. And Jesus, when He came into the world... He showed us who God was by the things that He said and the things that He did. And so we're scratching our heads and saying, okay, that's good, but, but what happened before Jesus? Well, that's an excellent question, and I'm, I'm really glad you asked. Because I want to take just a few minutes this morning after we talked about what's going on in, in this world. I want to talk about what happened several thousand years ago. It's called the Old Testament. I had a professor uh, at ACU. He was a professor of Old Testament. And he argued that it shouldn't be called the Old Testament. He says it's the First Testament. It came first. The New Testament was second. He said, for some reason, we put the Old Testament on a back shelf and said, oh, that's not really important. Let's just focus on the New Testament. But the Old Testament, 
tells us a story of who Jesus is and who God is by the way that Jesus, the way that God spoke and the way that he interacted with his people. The Old Testament. Have you read it lately? You should. But I want to warn you, as you read through the Old Testament, in many different places you're going to find it difficult. It's sometimes confusing. It's often bizarre. And occasionally it is really just... It's unbelievable. And I don't have a better word to describe what the Old Testament can be sometimes. The Old Testament, in so many ways, is unbelievable. But there's a solution to these awkward, difficult passages that we don't understand and doesn't seem like they could actually happen. Okay, there's a group of of liberal Bible scholars. Yes, we have liberals even in Bible uh, scholar uh, realm. Okay, we have liberal scholars who say, get this, the Old Testament didn't really happen. And you say, oh, that's crazy. There's probably a few weirdos in a closet in California talking about how, you know, the, the Old Testament is made up of stories and myths and they didn't really happen. I attended a university where a percentage of the students and even a few of the professors said at a Church of Christ Christian University said the Old Testament didn't really happen. They're just stories. And what they would say is, you know what, they didn't have to happen. They just tell this grand narrative of who God is. The flood and Noah, it wasn't a worldwide flood, it was a localized flood, and it was actually borrowed from the Epic of Gilgamesh. If if you don't know anything about the Epic epic of Gilgamesh, and have a, a few minutes to read, Google that and read the Epic of Gilgamesh. It is another flood story that actually was written before Genesis was written. And you say, wait, that can't happen because Genesis is about the beginning. Well, Genesis wasn't written as it was happening. It was written years and years later. But before it was written, somebody wrote several different flood accounts had been written. And when, when God actually commissioned Moses to do the writing, several other people had already written about this flood. The Epic of Gilgamesh is one of them. But according to liberal Bible scholars, they say the flood didn't happen. It wasn't a big flood. There wasn't a big boat. There wasn't all the animals because that's too unbelievable. They just made up the story. Or maybe it was a localized flood. The Exodus, it, it really didn't happen. Logistically, you can't move that many people. There were no cars. They had no way to get them there. This idea that there was you know, manna, which actually in Hebrew means what is this, came down from heaven and quail fell down. And the fact that they roamed around for 40 years in the same pair of clothes and the clothes didn't go bad. That's what? 
It's unbelievable. Liberal scholars will tell you that Jonah didn't get swallowed by a big fish and stay in there for three days. It was metaphorical. It was a nice story that talks about that, hey, when you're in trouble, God will save you, and he will swallow you up like a big fish, and he will puke you out onto dry land. That's a lovely story, isn't it? And it didn't really happen, right? Because why? Because it's unbelievable. And God didn't create the world in six days. Genesis 1 through 3, it's just a nice story. We know it didn't really happen that way. Science says it couldn't have happened that way. Science says that the only way that we can be where we are today is that we have evolved not over six days, created over six days, but we evolved over six trillion years, which, by the way, that number keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger because they realize we're more and more complex. And there's a lot of really tough questions. There's tough questions about evolutions. There's evolution. There's also really tough questions about creation. And the idea that there is this God and there is absolutely nothing there. Nothing. Absolutely nothing there. And He speaks and bam, it happens. That is what? It's unbelievable. I've, it's been a long time since I've been in science class, but... Good, bad, or indifferent, my son, who's 13, he's in 8th grade science. And he has to go through science. And I struggle with math, but science is nearly impossible. But, but one, one of the, the, the theories, one of the laws of science, is that matter always exists. Matter is, is what things are made of. Matter always exists. You can't get rid of matter. No matter what, it's all, you can't get rid of it, and you can't add more of it. This is a crazy thought, and I, I love this idea. And this is off the topic, but since I'm talking and you're listening, we're just going to go with this. If you took a room, right, and you put it on a scale, it would have to be a big scale, and you weighed it, and you put wood inside of that room, right, and it's on the scale, and you took a match, and you set the wood on fire, and the room was closed in, and all the wood burned up, would the room weigh less? No. Because matter still exists. Because you can't get rid of matter. It's always there. And science, they don't know, but they're kicking themselves Because when they say you can't get rid of matter and you can't add new matter, well then there's a real big problem with evolution. How did the two things collide if they weren't there in the first place? There has to be a beginning. But the idea of creation is what? It's unbelievable. And so the people who study the Bible, who are liberal theologians, they look at that and they say, there's no big well, there's no big flood, there's no big creation. It just, it happened in a way, and it, it happened in such a way that God could tell this story. Well, there are a few problems with turning the Old Testament into a fictional book. The first problem is, 
if the flood didn't happen, if the Red Sea didn't happen, if Jonah and the whale didn't happen, if creation didn't happen, what else in the Bible is fake? What else really didn't happen? If it didn't happen, how do we reconcile our, our ideas with Hebrew chapter 11? Hebrews 11 says what? It talks about by faith. Noah, he built an ark. And they got in there. Well, if that's just a good story, why would Hebrews talk about how faith, a fictional character, built a boat? How would we explain in Hebrews chapter 11 that it talks specifically about the crossing of the Red Sea? How it specifically said that God created the world. Hebrews chapter 11, the great faith chapter. And 12 will start out, we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. If the Old Testament really didn't happen, then why would Hebrews talk about it? And then I guess another big question is this. If it really didn't happen, then what do we do with Matthew chapter 12 and verse 40? If Jonah is a fictional story we're going to have a really tough time reading the red letters of Jesus when He says that just in the same way that Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so too will the Son of Man spend three days and nights in the belly of the earth. That would be a real that would be really weird if I were to say, hey, you know what? Just in the same way that the big bad wolf blew down the house is the same way that I'm going to blow down your house. And you're going to look at me and say, the big bad wolf is just a story. He really didn't blow down the house. It's fictional. Jesus is comparing himself to something that took place in history, even if that was unbelievable. And you say, how can the world be created in six days? How in the world can somebody live in a fish for three days? How in the world could these, the sea part and people walk on, on dry land? How could there be enough water on this earth that it can cover the earth? Can this really happen? Scientists say, I don't know, it seems so unbelievable. It is unbelievable. Unless, unless you believe in God. Right? God makes the impossible, the illogical, and the unbelievable happen. And this is what the Old Testament tells us. When we read about the Exodus, 
And I'm not saying we forget the details. It was crazy. It was amazing. The manna and the quail and, and the pillar of, of fire by night and the pillar of cloud by day. And we can get caught up in all of that. But the story of Exodus is really about a God who delivers His people. We learn about who God is by what He says and what He does. What about the flood? That's, it's an awkward story, and, and it's really, it's unbelievable. The epic of Gilgamesh says it's about one of the gods who gets really mad, and he wants to destroy the world in his own anger. But, but one guy is, is pretty clever, and he figures out a way to build a boat and save the world, and all the other gods say, yay! And the other god who's mad goes, man, I can't believe that happened. And that's a story of an angry God. The story of Noah, you say, well, it's about destruction, it's about death. It's about a God who sees what He's created and how all they're doing is hurting each other and they're destroying each other. And all they can think about is evil and doing evil to one another. And it is a horrible place. It is like hell on earth. And God says, I could destroy it, but I'm going to save it. And I have found somebody in whom I will use to save this earth that doesn't deserve to live. The story of Noah is not about a big boat and a bunch of animals. It is a story about a God who saves His people. We could look throughout all of the Old Testament And we can see how seas were parted. And what we learn from that is not, oh, how could that have happened? How could the the land have been dry? How could two million people have possibly walked across this? Two million people! That's a whole lot of people! Have you ever been to Six Flags on a really busy day? We're talking about several thousand people. Have you ever been to a an athletic, a professional event when 50,000 people were in the stadium and they try to get out of the stadium at the end. There's a reason why people leave in the third quarter. And it's not just because the Cowboys are losing so bad. It's because they know the traffic jam by 50,000. And they had cars! We're talking about people, everything that they have with them, everything that they own, they're carrying Two million of them are walking. Well, that sounds illogical and unbelievable. And it sounds like we have a God who can deliver us from the mess in our lives and take us to a place that He's promised for us. This is the Old Testament. They're not just really good stories. But we do learn who God is by what He says and how He acts. And we have this opportunity this week. Just, I don't even want to go that far. That's a little ambitious. If you're like me, I still have three kids and no wife at home yet. She's coming home today. So I can't even possibly imagine how I'm going to make it through the week. I'm working on today. So let's just talk today. What can we do today 
that by how we speak and how we act, we tell a story of who God is. God sent Jesus to tell the story of who He is. And then He said, I'm going to keep telling the world who He is because of you. I'm going to fill you with my spirit and you're going to go out into the world, into the workplace, into the neighborhoods, into the grocery stores and you're going to tell people who I am. And that's the story we get to tell to this world. If you haven't heard that story, you've forgotten it. I want you to know you are a part of it. You're part of a story of redemption and deliverance and of salvation. You're a story you're a part of a story about a God who loves you and He gave Himself up for you. And that's something, ladies and gentlemen, that we're going to celebrate. That we can celebrate today what Jesus has done for us. And I encourage you to join me in that celebration as we stand and sing.